Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to this edition of Meeting of Minds podcast. My guest today is Treasurer Dan Elliott. He's the treasurer of the state of Indiana. Uh, uh, Dan, uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks, Jerry, for the opportunity. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So you ran on cybersecurity uh, because you have a, a you know a, a technology background, including cybersecurity background. But what I found is that with so many people who became um, state financial officials, they went in you know, uh, I think your, your colleague Todd Russ says treasurer is a worker bee job, right? It's uh, yes. even, even a little boring, you know, traditionally, um, uh, you know, it's sort of debits and credits and you know, that sort of thing. And then not long after you were there, a, a wave came across the country through financial markets in the form of ESG, environmental mm-hmm. social governance, which in essence is a kind of a politicization, politicization of, um, of capital. And agencies that even started raiding governments, you elect the wrong people and the wrong policies. We're going to try to make it more expensive for you to borrow money. So essentially attacking the creditworthiness of of uh, municipalities and states based not on their actual fundamental creditworthiness, but based on political considerations. So at what point in you going in there as a kind of worker bee kind of kind of thing as an entrepreneur and business person at what point did you realize what you were up against with ESG so actually um since i've only been in office 8 months so the beginning of the year it, it actually happened right before i took office that's when i realized uh so the ESG issue i'll be honest when i first started to run like like you mentioned, you know, it, this is a worker bee type of office. I'm a I'm a I'm literally a guy who has a farm. I'm a roll up my sleeves type of guy. That's why this job was so interesting. Uh, a lot of, of touch points with local government coming from local government. That's also why I thought, oh, I've got these qualifications. Took that to the the folks in Indiana, and they agreed. That's why they elected me. But while I was on the campaign trail, I had an interesting conversation. Again, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a country boy. I, I you know, you, your your folks listening to the podcast can't see, but I'm always in a pair of cowboy boots. You know, I will talk politics and horses all day long. So, one of the things, being a typical country boy, so is I, politics like, what comes out of the horse? Is that? Well, there's a lot of that. And no, you can kind of have the same that. topic at the same time. Yeah, you know, my my my. It, it, there's a, a big analogy. I, I do spend a lot of time shoveling manure. <laughs> In real work and at home. <laughs> so, uh, but of course, uh, also being somebody from rural Indiana, you know, I, I love, I love to, to be outdoors. I love to hunt. I love to shoot. I have a little shooting range. Uh, so one day I'm campaigning and I stop off uh, in Terre Haute, which is a, a city on the very Western edge of Indiana. And I literally stop off because I, someone told me there's a great place to get ice cream. So I go to get this ice cream. It turns out this ice cream shop is in a gun store. How perfect for a country boy. Ice cream and guns. So I start talking to the owner of the ice cream shop. 
he brings his brother-in-law over who owns the gun shop and we start talking and this is a, a fairly large gun shop very nice uh very uh established been in business for m- many many years and we start talking obviously politics technology and he starts talking to about how he had been debanked which i'm like debanked what is that he said well i had the bank i had been using just told me one day we're not doing business with you anymore because you're a gun shop why what is there something wrong did we do is you know is our credit bad oh no you have great credit you're making plenty of money but we just don't like guns and we think that this is not the type of business that people should be in and and it took a while for him to find another bank large enough to do the kind of business he needed to do and then that's where i learned about esg not from a a radio show not from somebody in in dc I learned about it from a local small business owner in my state. And so as I started to dig into this, I started seeing, wait a minute, this is a huge problem. Started finding out that even in the financial side, you had very, very large asset management firms that were telling states, we're way bigger than you. We have trillions of dollars of money that we control. You have to bow to what we want. And what they wanted were basically a message that they were getting from Europe and from California and New York about how they wanted to divest of gun companies, of coal companies, of fossil fuels. Now, again, I'm from Indiana. Indiana is a, is a big agriculture state. Well, the most important aspect to agriculture is having access to fuel to be able to plow your fields, to be able to run your combines. Right. And then, of course, we also are a very strong manufacturing state. One of the reasons we're such a strong manufacturing state is because our energy is reliable and affordable. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, wait a minute, all of this is bad for Indiana. So I obviously came out very much against ESG. And then once I got elected, about a few weeks before, I had one of those large asset management companies, BlackRock, come to meet meet with me, and they they had never met with any met with any treasurer before. But as they were meeting with me, they were explaining, "Oh, well, that's not what we're doing, and this is what we're doing." And as I as I was explaining to them the concerns, and I said to them something that to me seemed pretty common sense. I said, "Well, you know, sure for you, you can afford to lose some money." Because you, you're very wealthy. You're, you, you flew in on a jet. But when I'm talking about Indiana pensions, and Indiana pensions are for state employees, county employees, city employees, these are folks who are just regular folks. And if we're taking a lower return on investment, then that may be that this person who might have worked, you know, driving a, hi- a truck on the highway for the county, that person now has to choose between paying for their mortgage or paying for their medicine. And no, no one should be in that situation. Uh, he had mentioned to me, whoa, that's really powerful. I never thought about that. Now, my mom taught me to be polite. I didn't say anything to him about it. But in my head, I'm thinking, well, of course you didn't think about that. You drove in here on a flyer. You flew in here on a private jet. Hmm. But most people don't think that way. Most people are just trying to make sure they have enough in their retirement to go visit their grandkids. Right, right. So right. That, that's what brought me into that world. 
right from the very beginning. And that was a few weeks before I took office. Hmm. Okay, so then you took office. You were aware of ESG, and you knew mm-hmm. you, you met with the BlackRock people. Um, did you feel satisfied with the answers that BlackRock gave you? No, I was not satisfied at all because it, it uh, again, one of the great advantages of being a small business owner before I came in here, I spent many years just working with people. And I, I'm a big believer in don't tell me what you're going to do, show me. Mm. And what they were saying versus what their actions were, were very different. So me, I can only judge by what the actions are. Right. So uh, since that was not the case, and since they were, since there was this big push, I, I looked and said, no, this doesn't make any sense. So I started working with some state legislators because uh, our session started just uh, nine days after I started my uh, office. And fortunately, these legislators also had the same concerns that I did. And so I started working with them because uh, they set the policy, they create the laws. And what was interesting is, as I started getting involved with this bill that was being written, it was House Bill 1008, which was simply saying that Indiana pensions, you know, when I say pensions are public employee and pensions, the Indiana public employee and pensions would only look at getting what is the best return. And we would not use ESG as a factor in any of our decision-making. Hmm. Seems pretty basic. Kind of thought it would be like, well, yeah, no big deal, right? It shocked me at the pushback that we got. It shocked me at how many times I had people come to me and say, well, you're being too aggressive. You're a treasurer. You're not supposed to be advocating for a bill. I'm like, well, isn't that why I got elected to help advocate for policy? Well, I, I don't, I don't understand. Where do they get that from? I, I mean, state uh, state row offices work with legislatures all the time on issues relevant. Attorneys general work, you know, Absolutely. on issues of legal liability and auditors work together. I mean, who I, who should I, they turn to as their subject matter expert on Indiana's public pension plans? other than the elected official who's over Indiana's public pension plans. Oh, I know the answer. I, Lobbyists I, from BlackRock, Vanguard, 100%. State Street. That's who, Those are the only subject matter experts were allowed. You can't actually use someone who the people elected. And and that's literally what was going on. Um, you know, it, it, it because, of course, what they expected was that I was going, since I was new, that I was going to sit quietly I, you know, and learn the ropes. I was like, well, I know where my, where my, where my heart lies. I know what makes sense. And frankly, this issue isn't that complicated. People try to say, oh, it's a very complicated issue. I'm like, no, getting the best return on the investments for Indiana pensioners. That's pretty much where we need to focus. All right. So let's let's clarify something because I read a lot of stuff from As You Sow and the Interfaith Center for Corporate Responsibility and uh, Wharton and McKinsey, the whole ESG industry. Um, And what they say is that these red states are violating the free market because they're forbidding businesses in their states from using the factors they want to use like ESG. Is there anything in your in the legislation that you help shepherd through that mandates anything 
um, on the businesses, the private businesses that are operating with private pension plans and people's own individual investments. Uh, are you doing anything telling the marketplace what to do? None whatsoever. In fact, I've had this conversation. It's, it's amazing how many folks who are not uh, uh, for free markets have tried to utilize that argument against me. I'm like, wait a minute, you were just talking against free markets. Now you're for them? There is kind something of, a little it, hinky there, right? I mean, people, there. I mean, exactly. these groups that have all these lefty board members and they're getting Soros money, all of a sudden they're champions of the free market? Or is yeah. that just propaganda? Exactly. Well, and, and again, it's it's just trying to make, they're trying to make a point without actually backing it up. And here's what I, I've explained, because I truly believe this. The reason that we're just getting into this space now, when those of us who are conservatives, is because of one simple reason. Because originally, true capitalism allows the free market to do its own thing. You stay away from it. Let Businesses do what they want to do. If it makes sense, they can do that. But at this point in time, these big asset management companies are putting their their thumb on the scale. They're not saying leave us alone. They're saying you must do this. If you don't, we will we will make your life difficult. We will make your access to capital difficult. So they are the ones putting their thumb on the scale. Well, downgrade your credit rating. Yeah, we'll downgrade your. We will use we will use our clout in your local banking association to harass you. We'll hire an army of lobbyists, um, Mm -hmm. and we'll bring out lawyers who will suggest you're breaking the law if you don't use us as your asset manager. Yes, or we'll say things like, "Well, in the future, twenty years from now, this business won't exist because other businesses are going to to be better than are going to surpass that." Which is like, okay, great, let that happen. But let me tell you, you know, you understand this better than, you know, better than most people. It's impossible to predict what the market's going to be like in five years, let alone 20 years or 30 years. Right. But going back to your original question, because I don't like to not answer an original question. You did ask what effect does this bill have on private businesses and private pensions? Absolutely none. This bill, House Bill 1008, was written to only deal with what's called Enfers Indiana Public Retirement System. And we're only saying on the public retirement side, we don't want to be using anything other than strict financial factors. What gives us the best return on our investment? I see. So, you know, I think we really need to make sure that people understand this. When if you're if, if you know you're working for state government, you buy things, right? You buy paper clips, you buy desks, you buy Xerox or lease Xerox machines. You're not interfering in the market when, as a buyer, you look for the best possible deal, right? You are the market at right. that point, mm-hmm. right? Now, if they w- now if these people want to come along and say there shall be no public pension plans henceforth, well, all right, I, I don't think they want to do that, I think, right? So, you know, police, fire, they have pension plans, and then there's someone who's elected to buy services, and mm-hmm. and that involves negotiation, which is about price, but it's also about quality. And you're focused on quality, which is we want you to only focus on those things that maximize the probability of a good financial return, because that's the very nature of the quality of a pension management service. That's that's what you're buying. You're buying management for future returns. Yes. Right. right? All right. So does that forbid factors that contrib- contribute to returns? In other words, um, 
you know, you can look at things like uh, the organization of the board. Sometimes boards become captive to the CEO. Um, right. You're allowed to look at things that are, even if they, even if someone called them ESG once, you're allowed to look at things that are actually relevant to returns, correct? Absolutely. If something is relevant to a return. So let's say, let's say the CEO has been performing poorly. You know, that's, that's absolutely a relevant factor to look at. When we're looking at asset manager funds, have these folks been, have these individuals who work for this, these asset managers, do they have a good track record? These are all things that people looked at before and can still look at today because those are all financial factors. We want to look at the, at these factors. We want to look at uh, a industry and say, okay, this is an industry that's thriving. Here are some examples of that industry. We'll take oil. Um, let's say it's an oil company or, you know, oil, some oil companies are doing really well, but let's say one is being mismanaged and maybe that's what's create some environmental problems because they haven't been managing their, their company well. And so maybe their, their wells are poor quality. Maybe their tankers are having issues and they're creating, uh, um, they're creating environmental issues. That's, that's a financial factor. That right. was, that is something that we will look at and say, obviously this company is not running their business well. Right. That is not the same thing as saying, you know what? We don't like coal, so we're not going to allow anyone to invest in coal anymore. So That's you you don't want to invest things. in companies that manage coal badly. But you don't right. want to create a category that if you're using coal, that's bad in and of itself or your other fossil exactly. other hydrocarbons. Exactly. So if you're managing if these companies are managing coal badly, you know, obviously, those are not good companies to, right. that we want to be involved with. Right. But, if, but at the same time, the coal industry as a whole, the fossil fuel industry as a whole, is a reliable source of energy. Right. And that also doesn't preclude us from also saying, hey, let's work with solar. Let's work with nuclear. Yeah. Let's work with all of these. Because, again, if you look at a good balanced portfolio, it should have multiple right. forms of investment. So that as as industries increase in, in one area, maybe others start to downgrade the you know, we're still keeping a good return because ultimately, but I still go back to always is that 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 guy who has worked for his local municipality for the last 30 years, he's you know, he's not going to be rich. He just wants to be able to say, OK, now that I'm retired I can I can travel to another state and visit my grandkids. Right. Right. And the, and the thing is over a long period of time, you know, uh, during which a pension is being accumulated and you know, an underperformance of even like 15 20 basis points accumulating, that really is I can't buy the medication that I need. I'm going to have to settle for a less effective medication that's generic. Yes. I mean, you're mm -hmm. really making life quality, life altering, life ending decisions, you yes. know, based on that kind of marginal difference in return. Uh, yeah. and, because and, most and people don't have the, a lot of margin, you know. Well, exactly. So if you look at, uh, you know, some of the studies we've seen, you know, it's those, those funds over the last five years or so that have focused on simply returns have gotten somewhere around 8.9%. But those funds that have been focusing on ESG returns have been about 6.3. Well, that's a huge difference when you're looking at, like the state of Indiana, you know, we have a $45 billion investment fund. 
And, you know, you start to realize that impact that that's people. That's not just, right. right. You know, you know, Oh, wait a minute. I don't get to go out a little extra, you know, this month that's medicine. That is quality of life. That is being able to go visit your grandkids in another state. Mm -hmm. These are real issues. Right. Uh, and pensions are not, let's be honest. Most of the people who run these big asset management firms, they're not worried about a pension. That's not even something that's even in their in their world. Right, right, right. But I have to worry about that because the people that I'm looking uh, out for, the people who elected me, you know, these are just regular Hoosiers. Yeah, teachers, firefighters, police officers, right? Um, Absolutely. For a lot of these it, black rock types. These are types the people I go to church with on Sunday. Yeah. These are the people that, that, yeah. uh, that, my children are in 4-H. So when we do 4-H, these are the people that we spend 4-H with, you know, uh, people that these are friends. Yeah. Yeah. So where are things now with you and ESG? So the bill passed. Yeah. The bill yeah. passed. Good. Uh, you know, and um, it was, it, we're, so we're implementing it right now, working with emperors uh, to make sure that, that we are complying with the law. And so that's, that's a good first step. And we'll see what comes out next to the legislature where we're trying to work with them effectively, make sure, as you said, that oftentimes they, you know, our office is that subject matter expert. We want to make sure we give them good data and the right tools so that they can make good decisions. And not going to lie, if another opportunity comes to to champion uh, similar bills, I'll be right there. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact is we've, we're in the midst of an energy price boom um, mm -hmm. And that, that's what it took to expose the ESG strategy as a high-risk strategy masquerading as risk abatement because it depended on a prolonged period of disinflation with low energy prices, and it depended on a prolonged period of financial suppression with low interest rates, which tends to disproportionately help tech companies, which have disproportionately high ESG scores because that's the environment of Silicon Valley, right? And right. so, uh, you know, the easy Fed sort of kept all that alive. And then all of a sudden, inflation comes. And I just did a big, huge macroeconomic analysis. The sector that correlates most reliably with inflation, with future inflation, is energy. Energy is the most inflation-sensitive sector. So if you're in an inflation period, high probability energies are going to overperform. And that meant that the ESG thing was unmasked. And all of the alleged overperformance was found out just to have been kind of a kind of a Tahiti environment for ESG, which went away when the Fed stopped pumping money into into markets, making growth companies have astronomically high valuations. Um, and and and, you know, and so and then inflation made energy go up. So it was revealed it was a strategy for a very specific kind of environment. And when we entered another environment, ESG significantly underperformed. Um, and the I'll, best and I'll, brightest I'll, didn't tell us that was going to happen. Well, and I will throw a couple of uh, things out there that well, I didn't do that type of analysis that you did. What I do have an understanding of, because I live here in Indiana, is agriculture and manufacturing. And while it's secondary to energy in terms of that direct correlation, it is it. I, I, I bet in your studies that you will find that agriculture and manufacturing didn't trail too far behind energy. Absolutely. They were just a little below in terms of uh, correlation. Yeah. Well, again, that's... Especially and, and, materials. And the reason I knew that is not because 
I have done the research, but because what I do know because of my experience in my state is how dependent agriculture is on affordable, reliable energy, right. how dependent manufacturing is on affordable, reliable energy. Now I'll throw something else at you that, again, goes from my background. As we mentioned earlier, I have a background in technology. That was my professional background. I'm a software engineer by trade. And so I was present at the dot-com boom. That's when I got started in my career. It was it was amazing, beautiful experience working for the, all these tech companies. Everybody had an idea. And if you had threw up a domain name, I jokingly say, if you had shoes.com, you could make millions upon yes. millions of dollars. Yes. But you didn't have to manufacture any shoes. Right. But what happened during the dot-com boom or bust sure. is suddenly people realized, well, wait a minute, if you're not actually manufacturing, making something, then it was just fuzzy math. It was not anything actually significant. Again, being involved with technology, it's true that you can create some million-dollar companies that have a very low carbon footprint because they're not really building anything. But what happened in the dot-com bust was we realized if you did not have an actual sound business model that where you had a service or a product that you could actually offer, right? that it it fell through. And frankly, I think we're starting to see with ESG, exactly what we saw during the dot-com bust, the very beginnings of, oh, wait a minute, this this isn't making sense financially. Right. And, You're saying there was an ESG bubble that was like the dot-com bubble. It, 100%. And it's popping that, now. To me, that's what we're, we're in that, that moment where it it is just pop, but it's still somewhat inflated. Yes. And I think the beautiful thing is the states, Indiana, Texas, Florida, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Utah. Notice these are all Kentucky. conservative states. Right. The states, while we may not have, while individually we might not have had the wherewithal to take on a large corporation like BlackRock, together, yes, we can and have and are. And I think that's the difference because now we're starting to work together. We're starting to share resources. We're starting to share ideas, and we're starting to say, okay, wait a minute. If we're here to, to defend this to our state, to defend our states and protect our states financially, this is not a good idea. And here's why. And what's amazing is when we show that very simple logic, logic, the math doesn't work. Suddenly. That the arguments that they've made on the ESG side are starting to to crumble. Yeah. And you folks just, um, I think, did a letter to BlackRock quite recently where you challenge them on the use of ESG ideology uh, because let's that's let's be honest that's what it is it's not an mm-hmm. investment philosophy it's an ideology um, it's a political it's imp- ideology precisely, 100%. yes and, um, and it's okay to have a political ideology and it's okay if you as an individual want to make your investments based on your personal political ideology i have no issue with that but that's not what we should be doing as a state Right. And and you also should be transparent about it. I have friends who have started conservative funds, you know, American conservative values funds. Now, um, one of them started and then just failed a second vote, uh, for example, at Amber Wave. So it's a tough business to be in. Um, And basically what they're saying is uh, we don't like companies that do a lot of business with China because China is a geopolitical adversary. So, okay, great. Then you just tell people that. Right. Yes. Um, Which is different than China risk. Um, so 
just kind of as an aside, as you know, we look at literally thousands of the pro- proposals that are on the ballots of these proxies. And Boyer Research's recommendation is if we think a company is underestimating the risk of doing business with China and there is a systemic tendency to do so, we will tend to vote for resolutions that say we want you to do a more complete analysis of the risk of doing business with China. If somebody comes along and says China is an adversary of the United States, therefore we want you to divest, we say, wait a minute, we've got a State Department. You know, the geopolitical rivalry is a State Department. If you can't make a business case, then as fiduciaries, we can't support it. Right. So there's the right. different. So and it's also also like those who do like screening out sin stocks or something like that. It's like, OK, you have a view, you have a moral view and you're imposing it. And if you tell people that, that's great. Right. Um, so yeah. people choose it with their eyes open. They understand that. That's fine. But of course, anybody who's an ERISA fund, there's a fiduciary responsibility. You, you don't get to do that. You don't get to say, I can't invest in a chain of grocery stores because they sell cigarettes, right? right? You might not, it's unhealthy, it's bad for you. I get all that. But you don't get to do that with somebody else's money, right? right? And they shouldn't sure. get I, to do it with their, you know, viewpoint either. And, and, and to me, especially when we're dealing with public funds, when we're dealing with public pensions, transparency has got to be, one of the, it has to be paramount. Right. It, there are going to be times state of Indiana, we decided that we're very, very much in support of Israeli bonds. Mm-hmm. And so we support that. Right. There have been times in our history, like during the time, uh, during apartheid, where we purposely said as a state, we are not going to invest in South African stock because of apartheid. Yes. And that is making a, a decision for a social reason. And that is okay. As long as you're transparent. Right. If right. the public says, yes, this is something we want to do then they express then themselves through the voting process. Right. Yes. And it's part of that process, but it should, it should always be transparent and above board. And that is not what it ha- has happened with ESG. Most, most investors weren't even aware that their stock had become focused on ESG investments right. because it had happened by large corporations who were making decisions without even asking what other states thought, what other right. investors thought. Right. And we should make clear, this is partly investment decisions, but a lot of it is voting because these yes. big asset managers are voting on proposals on the ballots of these companies. And yes. let me tell you, you know, we've run analysis on literally thousands of these asset managers. They're not voting like the typical citizen of Indiana right. would be or Pittsburgh, uh, you know, we wouldn't be voting against fracking here. Um, You know, they're not voting the way the actual person people is. Okay, so that's where that's the state of play on ESG. Now, you're you're in an interesting position. Uh, I don't know any other state that has put this uh, under the treasurer function. Uh, I'm very much in favor of school choice. I think it's a wonderful um, educational policy. You that, that's part of your brief. That's in that's in your yes. zone, the school choice program. Can you tell us about that? So Indiana is a leader in school choice as as a state. Uh, we uh, we had we many years ago started uh, opened up charter schools. We also a number of years ago started what we call the voucher program. And that is where um, a a state uh, where a, a family can say if they 
if they would like to take their public school dollars and take them to a private school, even a religious school, they absolutely are able to. One of the things we started a couple of years ago, and this is what and that and that falls under the purview of the Department of Education. But a couple of years ago, the uh, before I became a treasurer, they started a program called the uh, Indiana Scholarship Accounts. In many states, they call them uh, excuse me educational scholarship accounts. In many states, they call them education savings accounts. This is a program that, frankly, is the future of school choice. Because the way the um, the way the program works in our state and hopefully will expand into even more is that if you have a child and you decide, OK, I, and in our case, we start with we, a pilot program is, is strictly children with, dis, children with disabilities. So we have a child with disabilities and we want to take them to a private school. So there's so many dollars that are allotted for tuition. And uh, so those dollars if if what you have is m- more than the tuition so you pay the tuition first for your school but let's say you have $1000 left over you can take those th- that $1000 and utilize that in whatever program of your choice to help your child so let's say it's tutoring let's say it's private lessons let's say it is some a tool some tools that your child may need and that's that's just with the tuition. Now, since this is focused on children with disabilities, of course, there are usually much larger sums that go to children that have disabilities because they need therapy and other programs. And oftentimes people will utilize these in the public schools. Now, unfortunately, if a child uh, and this is very common, if a child is getting the maximum dollars in our state, about eleven thousand two hundred dollars, um, if a child is getting that $11,000 or so, um, that the public school will get those funds, but they may only provide a couple of hours a week of speech therapy. Mm. Well, that doesn't cost nearly that much money. Now, the schools, a lot of the public schools will say, well, we're, we're utilizing this for other kids who have even greater, more severe disabilities. They're redistributing right. that money. Right. But that is not the way it was intended that money is supposed to be utilized for that child. If that child needs more, that child needs more. This, the ESA program allows the parents to be in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. So let's say they take that $11,000 a lot allocated just for children with special needs. They can use that for therapy. They could use that for um, special programs. They could use that for special tutoring. They could use that for education. They could use that for a whole host of needs. Now, obviously, mom and dad are going to have to put a lot more effort into it than just dropping their kid off right. every, every day for school. They're going to have to plan. They're going to have to see, okay, who's the, best, who's the best therapist? Who's the best person to help my child with this? But they are the ones in the driver's seat and utilizing these funds. And we have guardrails in place to make sure that those funds are only utilized or something that is legitimately a, a need. So for instance, you know, if you're taking your child to therapy of hope um, program, that's great. They're, they're, they're going to be qualified. But you can't go take it to uncle Bob. Who's just really good at talking. Yes. You got to really go to somebody who's legitimate. And that's right. our job. Because this so, is a disbursement of public funds. It is a disbursement of public funds. Right. So our role is to make sure that these funds are utilized correctly hmm. 
But at the same time, we aren't there to judge. You know, for instance, if the, if a child needs hippotherapy, that's a uh, therapy where they utilize horses. We're not there to judge if that if that is the best thing for that child. The parent is because I don't know about you, but I don't I feel like too often systems have gotten in place that try to determine above the parents. Right. What a child needs. And really, I I have four of my own children. They're all very distinct individuals. But I can tell you. No one knows them better than my wife and I. Yeah, just a, just a wonderful moment in the history of the Congress when um, Phil Graham was talking to uh, Ira Magaziner about Hillary Care. Um, and he said, look, parents love their children. And, and um, I, you know, I, Senator Graham, I love my children. And Ira Magaziner said, I love your children too. And he said, really? What are their names? You know, I mean, that, that tie... Right now, there can be abuses. Someone can give it to Uncle Bob, who's just a good talker. But um, that's not that's not most people aren't ripoff artists. No. Uh, okay, so that's wonderful. For a lot of people, their future isn't necessarily a lot of formal education. Uh, they might just graduate from high school, mm-hmm. uh, or, um, and they might even start this earlier. They're they're not going to be white collar um, jobs. In fact, there's a huge demand for blue collar jobs. We have arguably we have too many college graduates and not enough people who can actually do things with their hands. So you have an apprenticeship program that we you're do. over that's similar to this. Yes. I, and again, uh, I'm fact, not aware uh, of any program like this in the country. There isn't. This is the first, the first one. It's called career scholarship accounts and it is designed specifically to help young people who are usually junior seniors in, in high school let them actually go into the workforce, work for a company. And some of those funds, those educational funds are utilized to help pay that employer who is training these young people who's in this apprenticeship program. And the idea is that exactly like you said, there's a huge need for what people like to work with their hands. Also, every child isn't going to be comfortable sitting in a classroom. I will actually get personal for a moment. I, uh, um, while I was the first one to go to college, I have, I have four children, as I mentioned. My three oldest children have graduated high school. And my son, a, a few years back, right, when he was a senior in high school, we'd always thought he was going to go to Purdue. It's Indiana. so uh, And uh, he's always been good, had great grades, hard worker, uh, but he also always loved to work with his hands. Uh, literally my garage, you know, is when he, by the time he was 14 hit, my garage was his garage. Mm-hmm. He was just tearing apart everything from lawnmowers to cars. And so he came to me his senior year and said, dad, I really, you know, I know you want me to go to college, but I really want to be mechanic. This is what I love to do. I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, of course being the first generation, being a first generation college student, I was a little like, but son, we were always talking about you going to college. And I was legitimately worried that he was more worried about playing than he was going to be focusing on, on his career. But he said, no, dad, this is what I want to do. And so he did. So he apprenticed. Um, it, it was a private apprenticeship uh, at a uh, local car dealership. And he's still working there to this day. Uh, and uh, he's only, he just turned 22 uh, last week, just bought his first house two months hmm. ago. Wow. So 21, he bought a house. He's doing all the things right. But that is 
there are a lot of young men, young women like that. And we need to think about schooling as a way of preparing them for for success in life. And the best way to prepare someone for sex, success is to help them find what they enjoy, what they're good at. And it's not always, I'm a software engineer, I'm a nerd, but it's not always sitting in front of a computer like me. Mm. Everyone has their created nature. They do. And bureaucrats, there's a author that I like to read, James Jordan, um, who said that the Tower of Babel is made with bricks. Everybody the same, right? Everyone, and if, and if something's sticking out, well, we're just going to knock that off. You know, mm -hmm. we're just going to make you all, just kind of bake you all into the same shape, right? But um, right. The, the altar of Abraham is made by stones that are unhewn where Abraham leadership is fitting together people as they are, you know, and together, you know, they fit together, but they have to fit together without being destroyed, you know, right? And the, the, the yeah. bureaucratic system, and this is ESG, social credit, whatever you want, communism, fascism. And I understand ESG, you know, ESG is a milder thing. I mean, it's not Stalin or Hitler. I get that, right? right? Um, but the impulse to control from the top down whether it's in a highly violent form or whether it's in a shaming form is still at odds with our created human nature. And, you know, that's uh, all three things that you've talked to me about today all represent that fundamental, that battle what, in different ways, the battle for the freedom of the individual in a family, in a voluntary arrangement from the bottom up building society, as opposed to somebody insulated from the consequences of their decision pressing their ideology down upon us or their control. And, you know, I really love that analogy of the bricks versus the stones. Uh, frankly, I'm going to use it at church sometimes. So, uh, but the, it. but here's the thing to think about too, though, is those stones being individuals, the ability, try to think of the best way to phrase this, the individuality, that's the word I'm looking for. The individuality is right there in front. And that is what makes it beautiful. That is, you know, each of us, we all know what's best for our children, for ourselves. Right. And I, I think that's one of the things that I love about our country. I lived overseas for a number of years, and I sometimes we forget that that, that individuality and that that elevation of the individual that we hold dear as a as a part of our of our constitution as a part of our of of our culture that is actually something that should be protective above all else hmm. it's okay to sometimes sometimes as individuals we have opinions that are popular that's okay too to be able to say all right i think you're a nut but Hey, if it's what if it makes you happy, at the end of the day, allowing people to have that individuality, and that's what I do. I I do worry that sometimes the systems are trying to destroy that, and that's what makes. And, the, and when you could actually destroy that individuality, that's when our country is really in trouble. Right, they turn us into bricks. Well, we we're not gonna we're not gonna be turned into bricks, are we? I'm 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 too stubborn for that. So. <laughs> State Treasurer of Indiana, Dan Elliott. Keep up the good work. Thanks for being with us. No, thank you. Appreciate the time. I'm Jerry Boyer. You've been listening to Meeting of Minds podcast.